Tips and advice for flying in the top end? GA ready courses. What are they? Are they worth it? And do you need it? And night hours. How to get them? And do employers really want you to have them? I answer all these questions and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 24 of Flight Training Australia podcast. A podcast all about flight training in Australia and flying in Australia and beyond. My name is Trent Robinson and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get into the mailbag episode, I just wanted to put a big shout out to everyone that has uh, been sending through feedback and support. I know I keep saying it, but it truly does mean the world to me. Some fantastic reviews and emails, messages, and because of that, you have helped me reach uh, number one in the aviation podcast listings in Australia, and we've just clicked over 10,000 downloads of the podcast episodes. So to everyone who has listened, thank you so much, and please uh, keep the reviews and keep sharing with your friends. So today's mailbag, we uh, have a bit of a job hunting theme, I guess. Uh, Put out a call on Instagram and Facebook a week or so ago, and the questions that I've got asked were really all to do with uh, employment and some tips and tricks for uh, primarily flying up the top end, I guess, and what employers are looking for. So uh, let's get into that. The first one is some tips and advice for operating in the top end for the first time. Now, that's a pretty uh, good question, and, and there's a lot involved in that. Firstly, if you haven't already, episode six, all about applying for a job in aviation, be it your first job or a second job. Um, I don't know if it's because of that episode, but I do know feedback from a lot of uh, employers are saying that the quality of resumes has increased and selecting people has been made all the more easier or harder, I guess, that <laughs> could uh, have a negative effect. But the applications coming out there are fantastic and I've seen a few of you uh, also in the school and had a look at your resumes and they're really looking great, really simple and easy to read. And that's probably the biggest tip, first of all, is sell yourself. Make sure that you are advertising yourself properly and you're backing yourself after all this time and effort you've put in. After that, it's really, well, when are the jobs out? Well, as we all know, COVID's been uh, playing havoc with employment and, and job hunting, let alone keeping a job. But things are definitely turning. Uh, up here in Darwin, the movement has started. There's a lot of uh, pilots who are getting jobs in other areas of Australia, moving on to the next phase into regionals, into the airlines, and uh, also just moving on to the next phase of their the GA careers. So there's definitely movement there. We're coming up into the dry season. So if you're not sure what the wet season and the dry season is all about, jump online, Google it, and have a bit of a look. But essentially, our wet season is over the traditional summer months, and it's still hot. It's always 35 degrees in Darwin and 27, 28 at night, and thunderstorms and rain uh, throughout and then we have the dry season which is generally 
a little bit cooler, but not by much, but not as humid. It's, the air's dry, and that's when the tourist market is on, and that's where everyone's really coming up to Darwin and the NT, uh, traveling all the way through to East Arnhem Land, Kakadu, and uh, Catherine, Alice Springs, everywhere, really. Uh, so things get a lot busier then. So now really is the uh, the time to be here and looking for work. And I say be here and not applying. If it's a first job or second job, unless you're specifically being targeted for a set of uh, skills that you may have, you're not going to get called up and say, yeah, sure, come on up. It doesn't happen all the time. We're getting into a point now where you more likely need to be up here and in position ready to work, which means you're going to have to find a job doing something else for a while. It may not be flying for the first bit, and you could possibly go a whole season without actually doing very much flying. That leads me on to the next tip. If you're not flying, try and do some form of flying, which, yes, unfortunately, that might mean you need to pay for it, but try and keep your skills up, all right? So... Flight schools, like uh, where I am now, Darwin Flight Training, you can come down, hire the 172, get checked out on it, and just take it out and just keep your skills up. We've got a 150 down there. Occasionally you have 182, 210, 206, uh, twins, other aircraft that you can utilize, simulator to keep your IFR skills up if you hold that. But keep your skills good to go. There'd be nothing worse than not having flown for six to nine months, finally getting the call up to say, hey, come in for a job interview, an assessment flight, and you completely tank it because you just haven't touched the controls for a while. So the investment in yourself continues. You need to keep that up and make sure you keep your skills current and proficient. The next probably best tip I would spend some time having a look at the weather patterns, really understanding the wet season. Um, the wet season with the thunderstorms, the weather, the fronts, how they operate, where they come from, really, really critical. Coming into the dry season now, we're going to get a change of winds. We start getting early morning fogs um, on the coastal plain, especially in the eastern uh, part of the Territory. Right. Coming towards the end, around uh, October, November, December is the build-up. We start getting some quite intense, big, fast-moving thunderstorm cells, which can really catch you out if you're not being prepared. All right, so understand the weather. There's some great Facebook uh, groups that will take you through uh, just with people who understand it, either form, form a Bureau of Met people or just weather enthusiasts. And I found that really, really helpful when I first came up here as well. Uh, YouTube, you've got the CASA weather seminars that uh, get recorded up here in the top end. You'll find those really worthwhile jumping on and having a look at those. And the Bureau of Met website has also some really good information there. So check that out and you'll learn all sorts of amazing uh, facts and figures, things like Hector, uh, the MJO, the Lina and El Nino and all these other weather phenomenon that happen. Um that affect what goes on up here and how you can sort of start understanding what's going to happen when and where. Right, on the point of training, Darwin Airport, like I said, is a huge GA operation and we have a thing up here called LAZO, which is Land and Hold Short Operations. What that means is, is there's a cross strip 
And in order to keep the airport moving and keep the flow of traffic going, sometimes we will take off and land an aircraft on one and take off and land an aeroplane on a 90-degree angle on the other runway at the same time. Now, what that means is you need to have a land and hold short operations approval, which consists of briefing and usually just a flight of a few circuits so you understand the runway markings, the LAZO lights on the airstrip, and interacting with the tower and what the correct phraseology is and what it actually means. All right, so LAZO training is available. Uh, Again, I do that at Darwin Flight Training. You can get that sorted out. It's not 100% critical. It doesn't matter so much if you don't have it. There's plenty of pilots at the various operators who don't have LAZO, but it is an attraction on an employment form. The thing to remember is if you aren't LAZO approved, then you're going to get put in a queue to land. And that could, in the end, cost your employer a little bit of extra money while you're sitting out there holding rather than had you been LAZO approved and able to have held short of the runway, that could have brought you in on the shorter runway and uh, got you on the ground with the timer stopped ticking over. So have a look at LAZO training and you can get that tick if it's something you need to do. And again, use that for some Darwin familiarization training. Another thing is really handy, just dealing with slight differences in a military-controlled environment rather than traditional uh, civilian air services. Again, they're just controllers doing their job, a really great team up here, but can be a little bit different uh, in how they operate. whole new set of VFR waypoints that you're going to get vectored via, so that helps uh, be, again, more efficient of where you're actually going and how to get in and out of Darwin efficiently. So the LASO training, a Darwin familiarization flight, something I'd recommend doing. Getting to know some of the other pilots, right? Sometimes not always easy, but you'll generally find them at the nearest waterhole in town and you'll bang into each other eventually. So make some new friends, get to know each other. They'll be able to give you ideas on what jobs are coming up or what might be available, uh, some other little tips and tricks that uh, help you uh, stay in the leading, uh, lead running for any opportunities that are soon coming up. Right, the other things you want to think about is 200 series time, but at the very least, a retractable undercarriage design feature. And I've mentioned that before. A lot of schools now aren't using retractable undercarriage aircraft, and coming up here without at least retract makes life difficult. So make sure you've got that retract done. And if you can get your hands on 206 or 210, uh, Piper Lance, Saratoga, or anything like that, the air van, they're the typical sort of aircraft that are used across the Territory, uh, not to mention obviously they're moving into other twins. But single engine is going to be your first job. So have a look at what you can get done there. All right, and that kind of leads into the next question about do I need a GA Ready course to get a job? All right, so first of all, what is GA Ready? So GA Ready is a term that's been uh, popping up more and more of late. And the aim is, or the concept is, that the commercial training that you're getting at a typical flying school is not necessarily up to speed as far as what operators are wanting from you. It's more about ticking off a syllabus. Now, 
as I have mentioned in other episodes, if your instructor doesn't have commercial experience, they're going to be conducting your commercial training based on their commercial training. It's not necessarily going to be what actually goes on in the real world. It's what they've heard. It's what they think. It's what they might have been told. And again, not pointing any fingers here. It's not their fault. It is an unfortunate byproduct of the system and what job opportunities are available in your local area for them. So the concept of the GA Ready course is to try and bridge that gap of what you think you need to do versus what you really do need to do. Uh, it's typically done in a aircraft that's what we operate on the, uh, the top end here, which I just mentioned. Uh, it's usually to give you some exposure to weather and charter concepts, remote area operations, uh, remote strips, all that sort of thing. Um, depending on where you, you do it, it could range from a day to a week um, and everything in between. So the question is, do you need it? Well, that kind of depends on you. If you have come from a school where uh, you feel your training's been a little bit more syllabus-based than actually practically based, well, then it's potentially something that might be good for you. But also it depends on who's doing the GA-ready course and where it's located. If you're going to do a GA-ready course or do some uh, familiarization training to deal with wet season and weather, for example, well, doing it down south is really completely pointless. It's just the same as in your PPL. We go, right, there's a bushfire and smoke in front of us, and we're now we're going to divert this way. It's not giving you any benefit at all. You need to see the thunderstorm. You need to see the weather firsthand in order to learn how to make operational decisions and be safe. Uh, you, you need to see a dodgy airstrip and learn how to handle the aircraft and get it in there safely and competently and accurately. All right, so it's up to you. What is the course that entail? Does do employers uh, need it? The answer to that is absolutely not. Uh, might have been the case at some point, and there's reasons for that. But right now, you do not need a GA-ready course. What you need is skill sets. So there's a number of ways you can do that. You can come up in the wet season and do a couple of hours of flying and see what it's like and uh, understand the weather patterns and how it all works. You can also... Uh, run through uh, hiring processes, interview techniques, how to put resumes together, drum refueling, uh, all these things that are typically mentioned or covered off in some of the, the courses there. So not required, but as I said earlier, having some experience and keeping your currency in the Darwin environment, and this also applies from things from Broome right across to Cairns as well, um, any exposure to an area that is different to where you've trained, you'd want to do something to get some skills and, and really understand the environment that you're going to be flying in because it can be very, very different and at times very unforgiving. All right, and finally, do I need night hours? Do employers get uh, need them and how do I get them? This is one I've been working on and dealing with for a long time. And the answer to this is if you're on a 200-hour syllabus, 
then I strongly recommend that you talk to your flying school and organize to do a PPL flight test and then move on to a night rating. Once you've got the night rating, you can now build your 100 hours command time that you need at night. Well, not all of it, but a fair chunk of it. The other alternative as well is you could do your uh, multi-engine class rating and do your commercial in a multi-engine aircraft. You could potentially do a night test in the multi-engine aircraft and then get multi-engine command hours too. Probably going a bit far, but hey, it's an option. But by doing this, you're going to graduate with a 200-hour course, a CPL, a night rating, and some good quality command hours that are going to be a benefit to you. A lot of operators have night operations at times. There's surprisingly not as much as you would think um, up this way, but that makes it all the more precious to get what you can when you can. So sometimes uh, pilots up here will leave a bit earlier or get back later if they're doing a ferry run just to get a bit of night time out of it. So if you can do some of that during your training, then beautiful. You've got to do 100 hours of command. You might as well make it work for you. So my my advice would be to get into something that's available. It doesn't have to be the most expensive aircraft you can find as long as it's night rated. And again, we're looking for hours here, not speed. So something small and cheap uh, will do the job. But don't just waste time doing circuits. Uh, go and nav, get familiar with GPSs, with navigation, uh, different airspace if you can. I, I'm a big fan of uh, taking an aircraft and going into foreign airspace. And I don't mean overseas, I just mean foreign to where you're used to flying. So if you're in Melbourne, go for a fly up up the east coast to, to New South Wales or go across to South Australia. If you're in WA, um, head across to Adelaide, come up to Darwin. Uh, vice versa, whatever. So that you're getting some exposure in different types of airspace, different uh, weather climates, different aerodromes, different controllers. It's really, really worthwhile and will give you so much more confidence in uh, your general flying. All right, so that's about it for this week's episode. Thank you so much again for listening. Please keep that feedback coming uh, on Apple Podcasts and five-star reviews on Spotify. Really trying to get those reviews up to 50 by the end of the month. That's the goal. So I can only do that with your help and support. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au and uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Simply search for Trent Robinson Aviation. All the links will be in the description for this episode on the podcast player you're using right now. Also, you can support me further on Patreon. If you reckon what you're hearing uh, right now and other episodes is worth the cost of a copy, a cost of copy, worth the cost of a cup of coffee, then you can follow me on Patreon and support me from uh, $5 a month up until $35 a month. It all goes towards putting this program together and future content for you all. Go check it out on patreon.com forward slash flight training Australia. For more info, there's three tiers of membership and you can help me out just like uh, Catherine Jeffrey, who's just come on board recently. Again, thank you, Catherine, for your support. Until next time, clear skies and remember that golden rule, aviate 
navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone. Thanks.